In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Joyce always pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our producer, co-host, and good friend, Dale Culver, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Man, I shouldn't have said Men in the Arena Army. I probably should have said Men in the Arena Marine Corps or something because of our guest today. But, uh, you know, Army is more generic, and so yeah. I hope he can forgive me. Maybe. So, yeah. I'm really excited about this episode. We're doing something a little different. Brought two guys in that have a, a generational gap between them. You know, one of our guys Huge. is 27, one's 64. Uh, both are what I would call men's men and godly men, and uh, we're going to bring them into the conversation, and uh, we're going to answer the questions that our guys are asking on our forum. Today's topic is Arena Man Answers, so I'm really excited to bring these guys on. So we're just going to bring them on. we got a lot to cover today, and so we're going to start off with, uh, I'm going to introduce my friend Ray De La Nuez. Ray is 27 years old. He lives in Port Orange, Florida with his beautiful wife, Natasha. They've been married eight years. He's a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. He is active and on duty. And uh, Ray is on our blog writing team. You might have uh, read Ray's article about I almost punched the Amazon delivery guy. Loved it. <laughs> and, uh, it was great. Ray will be writing for us uh, four times uh, in the course of a year. He also has a podcast that really targets the millennial guys called Made to Reign, and the vision of that podcast is to engage, empower, and encourage men to grow in their faith. And so I'm really excited to bring him on today all the way from Florida. We are socially distancing. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing so good today, man. Thank you so much for having me back on. No, it's ex always exciting to have you on, man. You're full of energy, and and we have uh, like identical DNA when it comes to manhood, and uh, really appreciate what you're bringing. And it's good to have a a younger guy on who just is solid and and gets it and uh, well we you're solid as you can be for a younger guy so you know, there's a you little know, bit I of thank you for that <laughs> thanks for that halfway compliment I I totally I receive it well and what I what I really believe about you man and I just really believe in what you're doing with your podcast your ministry is that you're out there trying to get it done for the men of your generation so I really appreciate that 
Thank you. That's right. So uh, you have a, 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 I would highly recommend our guys that are, I'd say in under 40 to go check out the made to rain podcast. And then our next guest is a very special guy. This guy is actually a Ramos family hero. So whenever we bring, we talk about Gary McCusker, we talk about him being a Ramos family hero. And the reason why he's a Ramos family hero is, uh, by the way, he's 64 years old. And so uh, he and he lives in Parker, Colorado, with his beautiful wife Debbie. They've been married how many years, Gary? Forty. Forty-four years. Forty-four years. And uh, Gary is the vice president of our organization, Men in the Arena. He's been with me since the beginning. And in 1984, Gary McCusker led me to the Lord. And so uh, my wife, my kids, my family is different because of Gary. Uh, sometimes I'll say he ruined my life because. Uh, I had a plan and God changed it, but it's good. So I appreciate Gary. He has been a great example and role model for me. He has been getting it done solidly in ministry. How long have you been in ministry, Gary? It's got to be 50 years, almost. Yeah, since uh, 70, 76. So Gary works at Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Parker, Colorado, where he's a, a pastor on staff, and it's a great church, guys. If you're looking for a great intergenerational church, in the Denver, Colorado area, this is a great church, man. So highly recommend it to you. Hey guys, uh, why don't you just take a minute, Ray, and tell us a little bit about you, your story, uh, whatever our audience needs to hear. Yeah, one hundred percent. So my name is Ray Delanues. I am from the Dominican Republic. That's where that last name is coming from. I came here as a young child, and and really just fell right into the American culture. I grew up in a small town in New Jersey. Everything was fine and dandy in my life. I wrestled, I was successful there. I went to college for a little bit. And then I kind of hit a certain point in my life where I started to question my masculinity and more because I didn't really have a, a good example of what that even looked like. And so I was trying to find it in my coaches. I was trying to find it in my wrestling team. I was trying to find it in uh, in college. I was looking for it all growing up, I, I realized. And I finally found it uh, in the Marine Corps, or so I thought, right? So it was the manliest <laughs> thing a guy can do is join the Marine Corps, searching for masculinity. And it wasn't until I got completely shaken um, after I was married and thought I wanted to have a successful marriage until that didn't go the way that I thought it was gonna go, right? Right from the beginning, me and my wife had some issues uh, she left for a little bit and it kind of did that wake up call of, hey, I need to pursue something different. I need mm. to do something aside from what I had learned my entire childhood, from my father, uh, from other male examples. And so I was I started that journey of pursuing true masculinity. Man, I appreciate that. And uh, you can go listen to him. We've got uh, that recorded on our podcast. And I don't know, way back when we had you on the show. And so we'll put that in the show notes. So uh, episode it's episode 287 called rain in life so you guys can check that out so our next guest is gary mccusker gary tell us a little bit about yourself man well you know i'm 64 years old so therefore there's a lot to tell uh, <laughs> but uh yeah i'm you know it's kind of interesting to hear ray speak i, I grew up in a military family uh, you know i uh came to christ in high school i uh had some uh, uh, incredible encounters with Christ, you know, uh, uh, at a young age. It really kind of shaped me. Of course, I got married pretty young to a beautiful woman, again, going on her 45th year. And as we all know, marriage definitely is a sanctifying work of God. Yes. Uh, it it kind of <laughs> helps us uh, find out who we really are. And sometimes we don't like what we see. But uh, I've done ministry, youth ministry for 
when I met Jim, I was doing uh, Youth for Christ Campus Life um, in California, and then did nine years with the military in Germany, uh, working with students and their families there. And then I uh, came back to Colorado about 20, 25, 26 years ago. Uh, I have three children. Uh, they're all grown. Uh, they're all walking with Jesus, uh, married, got three beautiful granddaughters, six, four, and one, uh, who kind of rock my world right now. Um, you know, I'm just uh, at the church. I've been um, the care ministries pastor, so I really get into the into the weeds in people's lives. Uh, just people are going through stuff, and a lot of that's guys and uh, men. And so I've always had a heart for men. Even when I was a youth ministry guy, I just thought if you can get a dad, you get the whole family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a ministry, youth ministry guy, I could have an impact on, on students, but uh, not like a dad could. And so I really did some fathering things. You know, I, I taught for uh, National Center for Fathering for Dad's University, um, you know, courses. It really shaped me as a dad. I think that was a big part of that. And then uh, I've always been involved in men's ministry just because I know the same thing holds true. And so here at the church, I have been leading the, the men's ministry for many years, kind of passing the baton to another guy. But I, I'm involved in two studies weekly with discipling men, meeting with guys all the time. So that's a little bit of who I am and uh, love the outdoors, love sports, love life. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Gary. Hey, guys, we're going to jump on into this. So we've got several questions that men on our forum have asked. And guys, if you're not on that forum, we encourage you to go to Facebook and get on our Men in the Arena forum. If you don't have Facebook, we have another forum on our website. You can check that out as well. So I'm going to have Dale uh, read the questions, uh, where these guys are from, and we'll we'll jump on into it. And it's really funny. These guys are all over the country. I mean, every, every place around the country. And so I'm excited to hear uh, what we have to say in, in answering to these guys' questions. So, Dale, go ahead, man. Yeah, so the first one is Matt from Mattoon, Illinois, and he asked this, uh, if a single, never-married man marries a woman who divorced her previous husband, but there was no infidelity, is that marriage a continual sin? So, hey, I'm not. I'm going to have J- Gary jump in here as the, the ordained Presbyterian minister, but uh, Matt is a uh, pastor himself in Mattoon, Illinois, at the Family Worship Center. This church is crushing it. And uh, Matt, congratulations on your 350-pound bench. I-, I saw that on Facebook. Yeah. So uh, you t- 15 more pounds, and you're almost going to catch me, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, hey, Gary, can you tackle this one? And-, and then maybe we can chime in off of what you say. What, what are your thoughts? Is-, is this a sin if a single, never-married man marries a woman who's been divorced in a previous marriage but was no- there was no infidelity? You know, last year I was asked to speak on one verse in the in the in, in Luke sixteen eighteen, um, and as we were going through the the book of Luke and or the Gospel of Luke, and it's everyone who divorces wife and marries another commits adultery. Who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery, and that that verse is stuck right in the middle of of that uh, chapter, and and so it kind of I got a chance to preach on that, which was not easy, but was. <laughs> I think I think the bottom line here is grace and truth. I think we have to really look at the truth of God's word and not take it take it seriously. Um, but then the other side is there's grace on the side of that. And and of course, just a a, a month ago, we're we're doing a, a study in First Corinthians. We call it the uh, you know uh, the beautiful mess. Mm. The church is the beautiful mess. Yeah. And, and, and 
I got to speak on uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and, um, you know, the first 16 verses. And it, it talks also about marriage and it talks about um, divorce and, and, you know, what not to do. I think scripture is really clear because it's, it gets messy. Marriage is messy anyway. Yeah. Uh, you put two sinners together and, and, you know, boom, you got stuff happening. And we all know that and we need the grace of God and we need to live by his standards. And so I, I believe, you know, my, our brother that's talking about that deal, I think there needs to be a lot of discussion and a lot of confession and a lot of um, talk of what it means to have new beginnings in Christ in this new relationship, but to have that, you know, that kind of uh, cloud over you that we're living in continual sin. I, I think that's from the enemy. Yeah, I agree. I, think, I agree. I think we need to, you know, repent of whatever sin needs to be repented and ask God's grace as we move forward and make sure he's the center of that relationship. Yeah. And I also, as I read into this, Gary, <clears throat> this man was single, never married. And I would also think that his, his, his purity and his commitment to Jesus would cover her to a level, right? He's a covering for her as well. And so um, I, I would just agree with you hundred uh, percent. That is a gray area, but I would just say for sure that um, the continual sin, I, that, I would never want to hang that over anybody, and I think there is grace. And and so I appreciate your answer, man. Thank you so much. Next. This next one is Joshua. He lives in Rochester, New Hampshire, and it says, I struggle most with balancing my life. God, full-time single dad, raising a toddler, work, uh, self-employed in this case, church, family, and friends, all while trying to improve myself. My question is, what do other men do to find and maintain balance? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Ray, do you want to jump on that one? Yeah, 100%. I was really excited about that question because I just want to say, yeah, period. (laughs) I want to identify with you and first say that you are not alone. And I have heard this same thing from multiple couples just this week. But the thing is, is that if we just kind of look at our circumstances and we look at life as just this whole jumbled mess and having to try to figure out this mess, we'll lose ourselves in it. And one thing that I kind of just adopted in my life is a neutral stance. And I get this from wrestling. I was a wrestler in high school and in college. And every single time somebody were to take me down or if we went to out of bounds or if there was some kind of change in position, we would always want to return to a dominant stance or a neutral stance. Right. And so maybe you're getting taken down by, you know, something's going on with your kids. And then there's this activity here and then there's church and then there's other family. Just remember to always go back to that neutral stance. And what does that look like? That looks like time in prayer. That looks like time in worship. That looks like two minute peace breaks where you literally just take two minutes to say, God, I just want to recenter myself on you. And for for guys that play, um, let's say, tennis or volleyball, it might look like going back to center court. Right. Mm. So if somebody were to hit you a ball from the left to the right side, you don't want to still be left on uh, on the other side when they go ahead and volley it over to the opposite side. You always want to want to go back to center. You want to be hanging out in that center line of the court so you can respond the right way. And like I said before, you do that through prayer, through worship, through intentional peace. What do you think? No, I think that's really good, man, because. First of all, let me just say that balance is a real interesting word because what we call this phase of life for men is the stress bubble. So if you draw a timeline from zero to, let's say, 100, from about 25 to 55, you enter this huge bubble 
where everything just kind of expands and thins out, and that's our stress bubble. And that, on the timeline, there is no balance there. That is a, a very dangerous, a very uh, capricious, potentially, time. And what I have found as a guy who's on the other end of the bubble, and Gary as well, what got us through, many men have not survived in ministry, many men have not survived in marriage, many men have not survived with their kids thriving spiritually. And, you know, I look at Gary, you know, I, I look at these things, I say, okay, so what? what's the difference with, you know, 27 years of marriage, 44 years of marriage? And for us, I think it's a key, it's exactly what you said, Ray. We Gary has always, and I have always, come back to center. And center is Jesus Christ, growing in our relationship with him and never allowing that to become secondary. You know, men are like waffles, right? Gunger says this in um, Pam and Farrell, Bill Farrell. You know, we are compartmentalized, right? And so we tend to compartmentalize Jesus, and that's a problem. If, if men are like waffles, Jesus is the syrup who permeates our lives. And if he doesn't do that, we get into trouble, right? And so I, I agree 100%, Ray, that we just have to come back to center and it is Jesus. If we, if we, uh, J, uh, Gary one time said to me, it's Jesus, period. <laughs> Jesus, that's period. Good. I mean, exactly. And so thank you so much. So that's a great job, uh, Joshua in uh, Rochester. Hopefully we got that uh, question answered for you, man. Next question, Dale. Uh, this is Dennis, and he lives in North Las Vegas, Nevada. And his question is, why do men have a problem stepping up and being the man God needs them to be? Well, you know, uh, Gary has a son that lives in Las Vegas, so I'm assuming that Gary wants to tackle this one. Viva Las Vegas! What do you think about this, Gary? This is something you and I have talked about a lot. You know, Dennis, I think uh, that's a great question, and, and I, I think it's, it's a question every man battles with. And the battle is we hate to fail. Um, and so I, I think it's really important that, that we, uh, we have to step into the battle. You know, uh, Ray just talked about the neutral position in, in wrestling. He can't stay in that neutral position forever because eventually he has to go after it, you know. And if he doesn't go after it, then he's going to be defeated. And so you got to be um, on, the, on, the, on the aggressive side versus on the passive side. And I think passivity is, is man's biggest yeah. uh, barrier because when we're in the passive side, we are going to get knocked down and defeated. And so, but there's always a risk involved if you step up. And, um, and so I think part of that is courage. You know, I love, I just have been memorizing the, uh, the passive scripture in Joshua 1, 9 with, with some guys in my group, you know, uh, having that commanded you be strong and courageous. Yeah. Don't be afraid or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Great stuff. And, you know, I'll actually even add in a little Marine Corps concept here. There's a, a concept that we abide by in the infantry squad. It's called the fighter leader concept. And essentially what it says is if you're going to have a line of guys who are going to rush towards fire, towards fire in a firefight, they're all going to be scared, equally scared. Now, it's up to that leader to also be a fighter in it, not just to direct people to the left and the right, right? So the, the fighter leader, his role is to get up, charge towards the fire, and show everybody by example what it is that they're supposed to do. They set the pace. They set the tempo. And so to, uh, to Dennis, I would ask, who has modeled this for you? Who has ever shown you uh, what it looks like to, to go after it and to step up and be a man of God? And if it is no one, I would say, well, no wonder. No wonder that you don't know where to even start. But 
like we said before, it's just Jesus, period. <laughs> that's where you start. Well, that's really that's really good, man. And I, I think we agree that we have to always come back to center. The center is Jesus, period. So our center is Jesus, but in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam go flat. And I, I have a message called Helping Men Deal with PMS, and the women love it until I really explain it, which stands for passive male syndrome. So our default is not Jesus. Our default is actually passivity. But for a follower of Jesus, our, we have to press into Jesus becoming our center. And I think this is the problem with most guys in the church is I, I question the 80% of men in churches who dot, do not engage in the body of Christ. I question if they are all in for Jesus, because I believe that when a man gets it, when a man gets Jesus, when a man understands who Jesus is in his role, I believe everybody, everyone wins. And so I would say that the, one of the problems with men not stepping up is what Gary and Ray spoke to. It's this passivity that they're defaulting back to passivity instead of pressing into Jesus, right? Paul said, forgetting what is behind me, I press on. And so this is what we're talking about. And I think it's hard for us as men because my default, I don't know about you guys, Ray and Gary Dale, my default is actually not to press into Jesus. My default is to lean into sin and passivity. What do you think about that? Is that wrong? Is that a theologically a little bit off? Or what do you think? No, it's called the flesh, man. And so <laughs> yeah. we are, we're, we're all going to, you know, our, our default is our flesh. And then we find out real quickly that, that we are going to fail and we're sinners. And we definitely, you know, get to the place that we need to repent of that and say, Lord, help me. Um, you're with me. And how, how do we go in? You know, as Ray said, how do we go in as a fighter, uh, uh, as a leader? that desperately is a need in, in our culture today. So part of that, but we need others. And that's why we yeah. talk about the men. And, and, you know, I just say, Dennis, um, I'll get you my son's, my son's um, contact information. Casey is living in Vegas and he's looking for men that need to support him. He's, he's been on our, you know, uh, in a group with Jim. And, but I just talked to him the other day, son, do not find yourself isolated because you are living in a place that so easily could defeat you if you stay alone. So, you know, connecting guys together is so, so critical. We can do that easily from a distance or like we're doing right now. We do it, you know, with the technology that uh, we have available to us. Well, I just, we recently released a podcast called Dare to Prepare, where we are addressing this coronavirus pandemic with men and saying, guys, we can sit in front of the television hoping that we get a little bit of kickback from the trillion dollar, uh, you know, um, stimulus, or we can press into our role as protector defender. Hopefully we've been pressing into that for years and we're okay and we're prepared. We're not panicked, but the default right now is to sit back and wait for help. And I would say, no, we need to press in. It's the same thing with manhood is we need to press into spiritual leadership because that's not what God asks us to do in Ephesians chapter five, that which is not natural to lead. That doesn't. I don't think it comes natural for guys to lead spiritually, and so God asks us to do something that is very unnatural for us because that is the mantle and the position He's given us. Just like a, a marine charging in the a firefight towards the battle into the fray is not a natural reaction, but it has to be the reaction in battle. 
100%. You see? And I it's, mean, it's practice, too. Right? What's the default, though? Turn and run and protect yourself. 100%. And so that comes from muscle, muscle memory over time, charging the fray, charging the fray, charging the fray, charging the fray. Same thing with men. Men, we lean into it. We press in. We do not shrink back. Hebrews 10.39 says we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. And so uh, that's a great question, Dennis, and I um, hope we covered that for you, man. Next. We have Joe from East Greenbush, New York, and he says, How does a man make more of an impact on his children than this worldly, unbiblical culture? <laughs> who wants to tackle this one? Gary? I haven't heard from you a little bit. I'll step into that. Um, you know, being a youth guy for a good part of my, my ministry career, um, it's time there. I mean, that's, that's one big thing is how do you spend time, but how do you spend the right kind of time with your kids and, and time where you might, they, they see you, um, living in this ungodly, ungodly culture, uh, unbiblical culture and how they're watching how you navigate it. So. It's, it's so important that kids are watching their fathers really tackle the things before them. And once that happens, they get, oh, my dad did this, so therefore I can do this. That's, that's, awesome. so, that's so powerful. I mean, I, the, the, the culture is only as unbiblical as what they see in their home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know what? What's the culture in your home? Is the TV on twenty four seven? Are you are you openly engaged in pornography or or uh, arguing with your wife or or are you lazy and don't work? I mean, you know, what are you model? Are you are you engaged in the body of Christ in your church? Do your kids see you watch writing your tithe checks? I believe this: no man who has children in the household should ever bill pay online his tithe check. Wow. He should always hand the money to the kids. Can you imagine you you know you the average you know the average guy out there is probably making let's say four grand a month. Can you imagine handing your kids a four hundred dollar paycheck a four hundred dollar check every every month and saying let's give this to Jesus? I mean, what does that do in the life of a kid when he sees that? I mean, I think of Dale. Dale is uh, the epitome of Christian service. All of his kids are addicted to Christian service. Well, why? Well, because that's what Dale's modeled. And so we model, we produce what we model. And so um, I, I think that's so good, Gary. I mean, you guys, we help me out here. Women are the thermo, they're the Thermostat. thermometer. Oh, yeah. Women are the thermometer. They really kind of are great at seeing what the temperature is. Here's the temperature. Men are the thermostats. We set the temperature. We regulate the temperature. And so, guys, what 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 temperature for Jesus are you creating within your home? That's really important. Ray, what do you want to add to that? Yeah, no, that's really good insight that you just gave to your listeners. Like you're you're either going to be a thermostat, which you're setting the spiritual temperature, or a thermometer. And if you're just reflecting, guess what? In the Bible, it says you're just conforming to the shape that the world is wanting to press on you. But if you are actually wanting to follow Jesus and you are transforming your life, that looks way different. And, and like you guys said, I mean, being intentional, being present, that right there makes a huge difference. I recently moved out of my four-bedroom house to move into a 40-foot RV. Now, I did that to be able to move around a little bit easier in the military, but that has been a game-changer for me and uh, seeing how it is that I'm actually impacting my kids. Like My kids literally see me make a mess with my wife. And so they have to see me clean it up. 
right? They see where it is that I'm messing up and, and I'm being intentional about teaching them. I, I mean, even just being practical, let's just get practical for a moment. The other day I took my son fishing. I could have just went out fishing and had a nice little time with him. But my son gave me a moment and I took it. And that moment looked like this. I, I threw the rod in and I guess his concept of fishing was you throw something in, you get something out. And so we did that over and over and over again and we got nothing out. And I took that moment and it was sacred because I chose it to be. And I told him the Jesus story with Peter on the boat. And I explained to him two times. He asked me to tell him the same story. I explained to him how it was that Peter was out there on the boat. And, and Jesus told him, hey, cast your net out one more time. And I showed him and we just acted this whole thing out. You know what my five-year-old went home and did? He went and told that story to his three-year-old sister. All right. And so that's just a small little example of just taking these invitations that they're there you know, walking my kid to school, telling him how the trees were made by God. Those invitations are there. We just got to be intentional. Yeah, that's really good. Gary, you want to close anything on that? No, I mean, it goes It goes to say, you know, kids, more is content time. And they need to see us. Like you're saying, Jim, are they watching us open our Bibles? Uh, mm-hmm. Are we saying, you know, I think we become complacent about church. I, you know, becoming a pastor, I said, regular worship is so important because sure. they're going to follow that same thing too. If you're kind of go every once in a while, then they think, well, it must be just kind of, it's not a priority. But if you make it a priority every Sunday is we go and it's a part of our rhythm. We yep. worship, we honor that, you know, we celebrate the Sabbath. Um, we, we have time together. Then they're going to, they're going to duplicate those efforts when they leave your nest. I just think it's critical that we model what we want our kids to follow, and, and that's Jesus. Well, and you know what's interesting, Gary, and I think you would say this too. <clears throat> As a guy who's looking back on my kids, my kids are 22, 24, 26. As I look back on them, I see in them my failures as a father. And and honestly, there weren't many. There weren't many. I, I did a good job. But the two great failures I had, Gary, is I, I put sports pretty darn high, and I think – that might have hurt my kids a little bit because there was an emphasis there. And the other thing is I did not frame their mother in the light that she should have been framed. And so they will at times disrespect her, and that is a negative on me. And then the sports thing, all of them, uh, you know, sports is a a thing in our life, and I think that was an issue. Those are just two little things, but those can be big things. Gary, did you see that with your kids as you look back in hindsight? I mean – whatever is your value is going to be their value. And, and they are going to take those, those, um, the things they do. It's fun. You know, our, our youngest son's living with us with his wife and daughter right now, because they're in transition. Um, and I know that my daughter-in-law is watching how I treat my wife because in college seeing that too, he is also treating his wife similarly to the way I treat my wife. Right. And I think that's a, you pass on those things godly characteristics what god is doing in us and so taking care of ourselves but then also quickly discipling our kids i think that is so important that we are intentional like i think as ray said just taking the natural opportunity that you know the walk and saying this is god's creation that's that's pointing to the creator and then all of a sudden that you know refudiates when they get into uh, school and people talk about other things who, you know, how creation came about without God. Yeah. I appreciate that, Gary. You've done a great job with your, 
your children and loving your wife and, and really have modeled that for guys like me. So I really appreciate that, man. Hey, guys, hey, this is great stuff. I'm really excited. I'm actually learning some good stuff as well. Let's take a 30-second break here and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. All right, here we are. Hey, uh, Dale, do you got a next question for us? Yeah, this is Luke, and uh, I'm not sure where he's from because he's in the military. He's probably from all over the place because <laughs> his question is this. I've been in the military for the past 13-plus years and move around a lot. One thing I've found hard is finding godly men to connect with and lean on. So my question is, how do you go about finding those men to confide in? Well, this is a great question, and we have an active military Marine right here who is in the same exact boat. And so, Ray, I'm just going to defer to you, brother. Yeah. Hey, I'll take this question. I I love the fact that you are looking for men, that you know that there is a need and that you want to find somebody to confide in. And I just want to share maybe a quick little personal bit um, that, that really impacted me early on. And so I'm about to hit nine years in the military here next month. And I got promoted very, very quick in the lower ranks. So I was already a sergeant by two and a half years. And I got to a point where I'm looking back, I'm looking around and I'm wondering why are people not wanting to mentor me? Why are people not wanting to come into my life and and impact me? And I always blamed it on the fact that I got promoted early and maybe people were jealous and it's just, I was ahead of my peer group. But a couple of years later, I actually was extremely convicted by the Lord because I realized that I never put myself in a position to be mentored. I never put myself in a position to learn from anybody. And so what it looked like was here I am in desire, desiring somebody to actually show me something, but I'm not actually being a son. I'm not choosing to be a mentee. And that that in itself is a job. And so a lot of times we, we kind of get this idea about mentoring that, hey, the right mentor is going to show up and he's going to want to guide us on the way. He's going to be this wise sage when really the wise mentor that you're looking for is right next to you at church. He's right next to you at Starbucks. He's right next to you at the mall. They're all around. Christian men, healthy Christian men are all around, but us young guys have to take the responsibility in it. It's our responsibility to say, hey, can I take you out for coffee really quick uh, for, for maybe a half hour? I just want to ask you a couple questions. I see that your marriage is phenomenal. I see the way that you handle your kids and I really, I really appreciate it. Can I just ask you a couple questions about that? And guess what? When you go there, you do that once, you do that twice, maybe you do that again. You don't even know it. They don't even know it, but you're being mentored and they're now becoming your mentor. So again, that responsibility does fall on anybody. It's not just if you are in the military. If you are a dude, 
the responsibility falls on you to seek out a mentor, seek out somebody that it's going to impact your life that's going to leave that thumbprint. And I will say this, out of everybody that I have left the thumbprint on, I've only had one person ever formally ask, can I, can I, can you be my mentor? It doesn't have to be that weird. You don't have to make it weird. Don't make it what it's not. Just, just know they're around. You got to search them out. It's not just put your hands out and wait for something to fall from the sky. So I, and I do want to say, just to get to the last part of, of, of this question, I see the word confide and I want to make sure that I get this right. Like if you want to find somebody to really confide in, um, it's Brene Brown who does a really good job at describing how trust works. And people are like, well, you gotta, you gotta earn my trust. You gotta earn my trust. Well, another part of trust is learn. You gotta learn to trust. And so the way she depicts that is with marble jars. Each person that you can imagine has a marble jar in front of them and every act that they take, every single thing that they do, you know whether you're gonna add a marble jar in. And that's an act of courage. You're gonna say, you know, I'm gonna choose to trust. I'm gonna choose to trust you. Before you know it, you're now looking at a marble jar that's full and you know the weight of that person in your life. Hmm. You know that that's somebody that you can confide in. What do you think? No, I think that's good. I mean, a lot of guys, I think Bill Harley talks about the love bank in his book, His Needs, Her Needs. Uh, I think there is a real give and take in relationships. What I really like what you said, Ray, is that, man, these young younger guys just need to ask. Ask for help. Here's the thing about older older statesmen. These elder statesmen that we uh, have in our churches that are retired in their 70s and up, these guys uh, are longing for meaning and purpose, and they're longing to give that wisdom away. And the greatest robbery, the greatest theft in the church, in my opinion, is them not allow, wanting to or being allowed to give their wisdom away to the younger generation. We have to mesh these generations, which is why I love Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church. This is a church that averages 700 people on Sunday, but they're intergenerational. They weave it together for everyone. These silo mega church models where you put the teens here and the kids here, and the, I'm just opposed to that. I don't think it's a biblical model, and I don't think that a separating generations is beneficial to the generations coming after or the generations before. Gary, what do you think? You guys are spot on. I think, uh, you know, as I am now one of those old guys, if a guy comes up to me and says, you've been married to Debbie, you know, 45 years almost, and you, you guys really get along, you love each other. Yeah. Can I just spend time with you? I will never deny a guy that. Never. Because I'm going, you are teachable. You are desiring to be what you need to be. And I'm going to pass on whatever I can, my failures as well as my successes. And, and helping you, you know, go there. But, uh, and we have a, a bunch of older men waiting for younger guys. And if we go and ask you, do you want a mentor? That's so awkward because it sounds like we, we're, try, we're, you know, made picking on you. So we're trying to make ourselves available. And we do that. We have a thing called M squared in our church where, you know, old guys get, to, uh, you know, guys get together on discipleship and mentoring. And uh, it's life-giving for me to share with younger guys. And so yes. I, think, I think it's what you're spot on, Ray, is, is younger guys have the courage. There's guys out there who will invest in you and it will be a win-win situation for both of you because it stimulates the older guy to go, you know, I do have something to pass on. Yep. And so go for it. Well, and then there's also the old guy rule. The old guy rule is this. If an old guy goes to lunch or breakfast or coffee with a young guy, the old guy pays. 
I've got a guy who mentors me, Keith Sherman. He's a 70, uh, I don't know, he's probably in his mid, early to mid-70s now, very successful businessman. And every time we go to lunch, he's like, hey, I'm the old guy. He pays. It's like, it's a great deal, man. So I think I'm going to find some more older mentors. <laughs> One for every day of the week, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, so this next question, I'm going to jump on this real quick and and uh, and uh, share my uh, strong opinion from the Bible. I guess it's not an opinion. And then I'm going to have you guys jump in here. So, Dale, will you read the next question? Yeah, this is from Carl in Omaha, Nebraska. And he says, what advice would you give a single man who's never married about sex and understanding his sexuality? Yeah, I'm reading into this a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't. But here, here's my question. As a guy who's been a pastor since 1990, here it is. Ready? I believe a man is as a man does. And I believe sexuality is as sexuality does. Let me explain what I mean about this. The Bible never, ever, ever, not one time, identifies a person's sexuality based on what they feel or how they identify. Sexuality in the Bible is always about action. For example... I struggle with lust. I have Covenant Eyes on my phone. In fact, we're having Sam Black, the vice president of Covenant Eyes, on this podcast next week. But I have been true to my wife for 30 years. I was true to her for three years uh, while I prayed for her and waited for her in my life as a brand new Christian. I've been true to her for the 27, almost 28 years we've been married, but I struggle with lust. So do I walk around saying, I'm a heterosexual? I'm an adulterer. No, I don't, because I'm not identified by what I think. I'm identified by what I do, and I'm a man who's been pure to my wife. What 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 bothers me a little bit is when people say, well, I'm a homosexual. And I say, well, what does that mean for you? My question when somebody identifies with same-sex attraction is this. Here's my question. Same-sex attraction are you completely sold out to Jesus? That is the question that we all have to ask. I have not had sex with other women, even though, do you realize, guys, it is legal for me to go have sex with other women? I mean, I can legally go do that. In fact, a lot of people would probably never even shrink back at that. But I don't because I love Jesus. So if I have same-sex attraction and I love Jesus... The answer is still the same, whether I'm a homosexual or a heterosexual, or I I have those tendencies. And the answer is this. If I'm sold out for Jesus, I'm going to live a life of sexual purity because I'm not identified by my sexual preference. I'm identified by my actions and who I believe in. And so as a follower of Jesus, so I, I believe there are men and women out there who are, who struggle with same sex attraction. Uh, For whatever reason, I don't know, but for me, the question comes down to this. If you're sold out for Jesus, you're going to live a life of sexual purity. And so you're not identified as a homosexual or an adulterer. You're identified as a devoted follower of Jesus. And I would say to that person, maybe God is calling you to a life of singleness. If, if you are not attracted to the opposite sex, then devote your life to Jesus in an act of sacrifice and live holy for him. The problem I see is we're very selfish, self-indulgent people, and we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait to 
to have sex before we're married. We don't want to wait to move in with our spouse before we marry him. We want to have sex. We want to have it now, and we're unwilling to do that. And so I would really push on a person's devotion to Jesus, not in what they feel about their sexuality, but how they act on their sexuality. Gary, I know that you've worked with this a lot. Uh, am I off on that? Where, where would you, where would you, where would you kind of point me in a different direction? Well, I wouldn't point you in a different direction. I think it's interesting. I we just did. We, I mentioned earlier that uh, we've been doing this series in First Corinthians called "The Beautiful Mess," and chapter six and te- chapter seven talk a lot about sexuality. Probably some of the most you know known passages. And one of the things that uh, our other our pastor, our senior pastor, spoke in on about singleness, um, very powerful. He just says. No one can complete you except for Jesus. Yes. I think when we find that place, even in marriage, our wives are, you know, cannot complete us. We're called to love them and serve them, you know, just as Christ, you know, loved the church. And 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 so Paul is going, man, if you really want to take on this, then realize this is a big commitment, right? Mm. But the other side is is um, and, and I reiterated what Doug said a few weeks afterwards when I preached on marriage and sexuality and marriage that, you know, Jesus is the only one that can complete us. I think it really comes down yeah. to what you're No, that's really good, man. I, I really appreciate that. And that's that's the struggle is, is you know, let's say I'm a red-blooded, well, when I gave my life to Christ, I broke up, I had a couple girls I was seeing— I broke up with those girls, and for three years, I never touched a female for three years. My wife is the only woman I've ever touched as a devoted follower of Jesus. And uh, you know what? If I never met her, I would still be fighting to live a pure life. And so that's really what it comes down to. I, we we just live in a culture that is so sexualized, and, and they identify so much with their sexuality. And I just... Uh, I've got to come back to Jesus. Is is it about Jesus? So thanks. I appreciate that, Gary. So hey, let's uh, jump into our next question there. This is uh, Robert from New York and says, what does spiritual leadership in the home look like? Oh man, that's uh, such a short one. question, but such a gnarly answer. So uh, let's uh, tackle this a little bit. I, I would say this to Robert, and I'll let you guys tackle this. First thing is, I don't want to tell you what I do spiritually or what I did. Uh, I find there's a lot of danger in saying, well, hey, Robert, here's the recipe I used, because that can lead you into a lot of bondage. And so what I tell guys is I say, hey, do something. (laughs) Do something. Just do anything. And so uh, that's where I start with guys. I assume guys aren't praying before meals. I'm assuming guys aren't taking their kids to church. I'm assuming guys aren't giving or serving. I'm assuming guys aren't praying with their wife. I assume these things. I say, do something. And then once I find out what their baseline is, then we can move to the next level. But for me to say, hey, I did these things, I could put a lot of guys into bondage who are listening to this podcast who are like, man, I don't even go to church right now. So uh, that's where I'm at. I struggle to give an answer. Uh, but Ray, what do you think, man? You're nodding your head. Yeah, no. I, and it's cause I'm just looking around in my life and I'm seeing this day to day, you know, my daughter this morning stopped me while I was eating breakfast and said, daddy, you didn't pray. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't tell me I'm, you know, I'm doing a bad job cause I didn't pray. That tells me I'm doing an excellent job because my three-year-old 
stopped me to remind me. And we usually don't pray over breakfast, right? Yeah. That's just that's just what we do. We always pray over any other large meal. But I just I'm so appreciative of that. But that only came because of this this one principle, right? So we want to be spiritual leaders. So that means that we have to be spiritually following, right? So to yes. be spiritual leaders, you have to be spiritually following Jesus. And it feels like we're just saying the same thing over and over again. But hey, why stop it if that is the truth? If that if that's the good thing about about this gospel. Um, so the fact that we're just following Jesus that means that we are becoming Christ-like. And I love and and Jim, you've talked about this before. Like your wife is a perfect uh, measure, right? She's a measuring tool of how Christ-like you're becoming. So if you ever wonder how good of a job you're doing with spiritual leadership, just look over to your side. You you shouldn't be looking back because if you're looking back, that means you left your wife behind you, (laughs) right? Look over to your side and see your wife's state because if she is glowing, that means you're doing a pretty darn good job. But I I mean, just to answer, maybe to to give a little practical um, example, and and I know that you kind of wanted to get away from this, but just are you praying? Right? Are you worshiping? Are you reading the word? When your kids see you hanging out at the table, are you just flipping through the channels, flipping through your phone? Or are you flipping through the Bible? Yeah, again, it's not sure. to put a bondage on anybody, but it's just to say, hey, if you want to be the spiritual leader, right, you actually have to do something, like you said before. Yep. And, and just lastly, just to cap that up, I do want to say, because you got into a marriage covenant and you have been positionally placed at the head of your household, it doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically from day one are the spiritual leader that God has called you to be. So just know it's a transformative journey and know that you are becoming, right? So set some goals and and become that man that you want to be. Yeah, it is a position that God has given us, but positional leadership is not leadership. We have a position that God has given us, but we need to move into that position so that our wives and our children willingly, joyfully, Submit. You're a military man, so you understand the word submission. Submission in the Greek language is a military term. It's a hierarchy. And so in the military, you may have a guy who's over you in rank that you don't respect. He's there strictly because of position, but it's the guys that have really earned it and earned the respect that you guys really willingly will follow, even though you're mandated to follow the guy based on position. Yes. So that's good. Gary, what do you think, man? Well, the key is is the word servant leadership. Yes. Um, I think, you know, serving my wife above myself, that's tough, man, because I mean, but that's where I, the Lord has to indwell in me so that I go, honey, what is it that you need? And to my children, how do I serve them without them asking? And I think that sets up the time that when you do have to lead, then they listen. For example, I'll just give you a great example. This happened yesterday. My wife and my daughter and granddaughters were getting ready to go on a road trip. They've done it the last few years, uh, the girls' trip to go see her parents. Four generational kind of trip, right? Um, they were getting ready to leave today. Yesterday, I felt convicted. You guys, I sent a message to my daughter and my wife. Um, I don't believe you should go. I just don't oh. think it's safe. And you know what? We had a FaceTime conversation. There were tears of, you know, just sorrow that they're not going to be able to do it. I said, let me find you a cabin that you guys can go have a little getaway. So you get to do something. But they were very responsible responsive to my spiritual leadership because I had set the table for that so many, you know, years, months, whatever yeah. prior. Yeah. So 
part of it is you reap what you sow. That's really good, man. I, these, these are great. I wish I w- was able to listen to the Men Arena podcast when I was a young guy. It would have saved me a lot of pain. <laughs> I would have framed my wife well. I would have regulated sports better. I would have learned to lead spiritually. I mean, I, I did a pretty good job there, but this is great stuff, guys. Hey, let's uh, tackle one more question, and then we're going to uh, call it a, a day, and we'll have a part two of this uh, later on. So, Dale? All right, this last one is Danny from your old stomping ground gym. And it looks, uh, it says here, like a lot of guys, I have struggled with porn in the past. It has taken me a while to learn that even though I'm no longer consuming it, it has had an effect on my sex life with my wife. My relationship with sex was the desire for instant gratification, which I think porn had a very real influence over. I have done a lot of work in trying to rewire my brain and check my intentions in all of my interactions with my wife. But I'm wondering if you all have any tip how to have a healthy, loving sex life with your wife rather than just a pleasure-first approach. Oh, uh, I'm going to jump in and answer this because <clears throat> there's a there's a pro, uh, a buzz out there about pornography that I want to dispel real quick because I'm a guy who battles lust. Uh, I'm a guy who <clears throat> was engaged in pornography as a young guy, you know, whether it be my my se- parents' joy of sex book I found in the closet or my stepdad's stash or the neighbor's stash. And so this has been a, a struggle, but it is not a struggle against lust. I'm sorry, it's not a struggle against porn. It's a struggle against lust. So porn is a manifestation of lust. So when we say I struggle with porn, I would say, no, you don't. You struggle with lust, and lust manifests itself in many, many ways. So let's let's be careful to say, you know, now you can become a porn addict, but your struggle is is lust. And let me tell you what else your struggle is not against. Your struggle is not against, you know, to don't stop saying, oh, my struggle is Satan is struggling, tempting me with lust. No, he's not. James one thirteen says we're each tempted when we're pulled away by our own lust and enticed. So your battle with lust is not Satan attacking you. Your battle with lust is because you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel who likes to see naked women and people having sex. I mean, this is this is what we have to come to the conclusion. I'm a little bit frustrated with organizations out there that say, oh, it's your, your struggle with lust because of your mommy issues or your daddy issues. No, you're just a, a scoundrel. That's why I love Steve Etner's ministry, the purity coach. He's out of Indiana, a friend of mine. He just deals with a root. You are a scumbag, and you struggle with lust. So let's help you to get have victory in that area. So I, I know, <clears throat> to answer your question, Danny, and I do know Danny. He actually is from my old church back in Los Osos, California. So shout out to El Moro Church of the Nazarene back in the day. But for me, what I have found with my wife that has really, really helped our marriage is, is two words. I would tell you, Danny, her first. She is like a sexual crockpot. You are like a sexual microwave. Just like Gary said earlier, it's all about servant leadership. Our servant leadership must transfer into our sexual life, into our bedroom. Hebrews 13.5 says, let us keep the marriage bed pure. And the one of the ways we do that is whenever I can, and I'm not saying this is all the time, whenever I can... I make it all about her. I, it's about her first. And one of the things that we have done in our our sexual relationship is we will hold and tell each other we love each other and look each other in the eyes and really try to engage in a relational 
moment that's beyond the sexual thing. I have a good friend of mine, him and his wife will actually, this may sound weird to you guys. I haven't done this yet. I, I don't have the control, but I have a buddy of mine. He prays with his wife during lovemaking. Literally prays with her during lovemaking. And I thought, okay, oh, yeah. well, that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's good. that's good. So that's like spiritual leadership, like 401. I'm at 301. So uh, this is what I would say in answer to that question, Danny. Uh, Gary, what do you think? Well, I just reiterate what you're saying, Jim. I think I've learned this way too late, but it, when, when a woman knows that she's loved, she is um, so desirous to fulfill your needs. And so it's just all of a sudden everything you thought was, how do I get the, you know, the right kind of mojo going in our physical and our sexual relationship? It's all about caring for the other person more than you do yourself. And uh, I go back to Steve Etner the same way you, uh, I met Steve, you know, Jim and, and uh, you know, a while back and he got me these little scripture memory cards, yep. right? And part of it is I got guys memorize the scripture, but there's some, he just says, Hey, how about sharing these scriptures with your wife? He, he, you know, their cards on one side has the verse, the other side has the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the actual verse itself. But, um, and so they're looking at what verse it is and then, and, uh, or you're looking at that and then you're memorizing it with them and they're memorizing it too. So you're embedding the word of God in your heart. And a lot of those are on purity verses. Yes. So I think when your wife knows that, wait a minute, um, you are really desiring to get away from this lifestyle and put the focus on her, it takes time, but it's, it's, it takes it to be healed because that really does wound a woman when they know that their husband is involved in pornography. It wounds them deeply. You for sure. Take time for that to happen. So I think leaning into the Lord, of course, you know, leaning to Jesus, leaning into his word and letting that become what really, and I think what you're saying, Jim, it's about putting the other person ahead of your yourself. Well, you know, I'm 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 kind of avoiding Ray in this because when I was 27 years old, uh, it was a whole different world, Ray. So I'm not going to throw you into the fire unless you want to jump in. But I know for me, I'm going to tell you what happened in our family as a 27 year old man when I was first married. I would give my wife a massage, and then she would give me sex. So we had this unspoken rule that if I gave her a massage, she would give me sex. And if I went to give her a massage, she would sometimes say, I don't want to make love. And I'd be like, oh, no massage for you. I mean, it would kind of be one of those things. Very, very immature. So fast forward 28 years, I rub her feet literally every night that we're home. Every night of the week that we're home, she'll just lay down on the couch, put her feet up, and I just rub those things, man. I just am in love with rubbing her feet. I I know it blesses her. It serves her. I just want to uh, bless and serve her. And you know what? I... If I just wink at her, she's willing to make love to me now because it's not about a deal. It's about, my wife has been loved well by me, I believe, and so making love to me, which she recognizes is a real strong and powerful need in my life, that she doesn't necessarily have that strong need, but she has a desperate need for affection and communication. And if I give that to her sacrificially, the sex is just a no-brainer. And so for me, our, our lovemaking has really changed because now I'm loving on her without the expectation or the motivation of sex. I'm loving on her for the motivation of love. And so now she makes love to me because it's her sacrificial act of love to me. We no longer have this reciprocation expectation. So our making love has really transcended uh, into something much deeper and richer, which I did not understand as a young man. I mean, I used to beg beg for it beg and and that was because i 
I hadn't earned it. I had to beg. And so I've, I, and that's kind of embarrassing to share that story, but that's how we've grown. And if I can help a 27 year old guy out there to realize it's about serving and loving his wife, and then the rest will follow. You know, and I don't know about you, Gary, but when I counsel couples, married couples that are struggling, my first question is tell me about your sex life because that determines how healthy that relation is in a, in a large degree. Gary? Well, there's no question about that. I go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 7. You know, it talks about uh, the first few verses talk about where we own each other's bodies, right? And so I think when, when I preach that text, people are going to go, tell us how my wife, when I want sex, she should, you know, really uh, satisfy me. Or, you know, when my wife wants sex, I should satisfy her. Uh, I said, no, it's all about how do you care and how do you, um, how do you really uh, put that other person ahead of yourself? And, and as soon as you do that, it all works out. That, when you're putting it into the right order, it, it, it starts to take care of business. And I think that's true, Jim. Um, it's, it's like I need to, um, and I encourage guys to think about it. You gotta think of what are your, what's your true motivation? And uh, when you get down to the motivation, if it's sin, repent. That's good, man. I, Ray, do you want a shot at this question? I know I, I don't want to throw you under the bus, man. I'm no, you know what? I'm actually like sitting back and I'm wondering, you know, what's my place in this? What's my place in this? And maybe it's that I'm in the middle of it. Okay, right. Yeah. So, and it's okay. I just want to level with with guys, and I do it shamelessly. Why? Because I I know who I am. I know my identity in Christ, and I know that there are way, way, way more guys out there that have it way worse than me. So. <laughs> Let me, you know, I could share a little bit of what I'm going through and, and just level with some people. And no, yes, I appreciate that. I appreciate as a, that. As a 27-year-old dude, it is absolutely tempting to be like, come on, babe, I did the dishes. And Jim, I mean, this was like last week. <laughs> hey. Babe, I did all the dishes two times in a row. Are you serious? I get a double day, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so I'm appalled when my wife doesn't want to give herself over to me and I don't realize Oh, I kind of, you know, spoke to her rudely that day. I didn't take care of her needs and I ignored her needs whenever she was telling me uh, what she wanted from me. So honestly, man, it's, it's like the way of a young man. We're learning, we're approaching, but I will say it is much better than when I was 21 and I first got married. Right. So oh, I, yeah. I, I want to say to Danny, like Danny, good job and round of applause to you for yep. wanting to even seek this out. Like the fact that you're even asking this shows where your heart is. And I was right there. After a decade of watching porn, I started to have this idea about sex and I brought that into the marriage bed. And so, I mean, even just something as little as hands, right? And, and not to be visual, but like hand placements. Where are you getting your idea of hand placements in the bedroom? Well, maybe because oh. you watched porn for 10 years and you watch this and this is what a man is supposed to do with a woman. And this is, you know, it, it's just, it's so insidious and, and we see these things coming in. And so hands is one thing, but then just our approach, our approach, is it, it just, just to come to orgasm or is it really to do something else? So we came to a point, my wife and I, where we were actually inviting Holy Spirit into our marriage bed before oh, we had sex. That, it was just, we good. were actually taking the time to do it and, and saying, God, this is a act of worship right now. Why? Because it's two people who are in separate bodies coming together as one. And we were just, just doing it like that. And, and that was glorious, right? That was glorious sex. However, I have fell from that. Those are my, those are my highlights. I'm telling you my highlights right now, but I, uh, I do have those days where it's, I just make it about me. 
Yeah, that that's I appreciate your honesty, and I and I think there are times when I make it about me. <laughs> so, I mean, even at fifty four <laughs> years old, and Gary, I'm sure there are times that it's about Gary, and so um, you know that's part of the drive of us as men, and and that's something that we used to struggle with, right? And so, no, I really appreciate that, and and we could spend a whole hour easily discussing this issue. But guys, we are out of time today. And so I want to say, first of all, thank you, Ray from Florida, Gary from Colorado. Thanks so much for uh, coming on our show. Guys, any closing thoughts? Gary? Jesus, period. <laughs> you got to keep him first. You know, one, one of the things in 1 Corinthians, uh, I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is, is kind of a verse, a package of verses. With rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give Thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hmm. I cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But that is how I'm supposed to live. And when you start implying that to every area of your life, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, it radically transforms how you see the world, how you see others, how you live your life for, for God, and everything else falls into place. Yeah, I, I had somebody tell me recently, I'm so tired of people telling me if if you just it's all about Jesus that Jesus can do anything and it's it's just not all about Jesus. I go, well, yeah, it really is. He may not be able to fix everything, but he gives you the motivation and the tools and the resources and the drive to make it happen. And so I really do thank that. So Gary, I thank you for modeling that for me over all these years. And so thank you for that, man. So Ray, how about you, man? Any closing thoughts today? Yeah, man. I just want to say to the to the men in the in the arena army, you guys are crushing it, right? The fact that you're tuning into this and that you have made it through this entire episode is because your heart is seeking something and it is seeking righteousness. You are looking for the heart of God in this. And I just want to say, keep going, right? We this is what this community is is here for, to champion you on your walk. And Jim, you guys are doing a great job with this over there. Uh and it, you've been a blessing to my life and I'm sure to many other men. So Guys, good job. Keep tuning in. Hey, thanks, man. That really honors us and really do appreciate that. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show at last minute here and uh, super excited. Guys, hey, guys, let's get our boots on the ground. I think, Ray, you'll appreciate this as a Marine. Hey, we can't just sit here and listen to this and walk away. Let's put some boots on the ground. Let's get some dirt on the treads. What are we going to do here, guys? And here's what I want you to do. Uh, We have three ways for you to engage in this ministry, and it will not cost you a penny. So we want you to enlist, as Ray said, in our army, and here's how you do it. The first one, obviously, is a podcast, which you're on right now, so thank you for that. Second of all, we have two forums for you to engage in if you want. If you have Facebook, go on to our Facebook forum. We have close to 10,000 guys from 90 different nations that are engaged in a just a moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute dialogue about manhood and things that men deal with. And the other thing is go to our website, meninarena.org, get a copy, a free copy of my bathroom book for men. It's an electronic copy. When you do that, we're going to add you to our equipping blast, which Ray is a regular uh, author in that blast, and join thousands of men who are being equipped every week on what it means to be a man of God and to live life as your best version. Because, men, when you get it, Everyone wins. Guys, until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. 
Men in the Arena is a non-profit, crowd-funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.